if you um, don't know, uh, Franklin Graham, who is the son of the renowned Billy Graham, has asked that today be uh, the National Day of Prayer for our president because of the um, onslaught that he has taken ever since he has came into office. And so we will be one of the many churches all across America today that will stand uh, together in unity and pray for our for our president. And uh, we believe in our in our leaders, whether you like them or not. And um, we're going to pray for him or us. Brother Grant likes to call him Brother Brother Trump. So a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news. We don't have time to delve off into all of that. They sit around and talk about it all day. But a lot of things going on, crisis in our, within our country, within our own borders, and, and outside as well. So <clears throat> if you'll go before the Lord with me in prayer, let's pray together in unity for our president. Lord, we love you. Thank you, God, for the burden that you place on Franklin Graham to ask for prayer today for our president. I pray, Lord, for President Donald Trump, God. I pray, God, for against everything that has come against him and his family, Lord, and everything and every uh, method of attack that has uh, plagued him ever since his presidency and being in office. I pray, God, that you would give him the wisdom that you did to Solomon, King Solomon, so many years ago, that he would know how to lead this country, that he would know how, Lord, to lead this country going out and coming in. I pray, God, that you would help him every single day, God, that you would lead him and guide his footsteps in the decisions that he has to make for our country and our nation and for our world. We know that anything that America decides to do, there is impact that happens all across the world. I pray, God, for every decision that he makes. I pray for his family, all those involved, God, in the work that he does day in and day out. I pray that you put a hedge of protection against uh, uh, about him, God, that you would protect him from anyone that would seek to harm him or his family. I pray today on this day of prayer for our president, God. Thank you for the country that we live in and the freedom that we get to have every single day. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I pray for our president and every leader. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. And I am, I sure believe that he will feel these prayers today as we all pray for him and, and lift him up. Uh, I'll read out of the Gospel of John chapter 4. As you're still standing, I won't keep you standing too long. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, will begin with verse 1. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, but Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria, and there cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore being wearied by with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, and there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. 
Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city. And he saith unto the woman of Samaria, unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And if you know, the Samaritans are half Jew and half Gentile. And so Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who this saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman said unto him, Sure, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Thou art, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water which I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Thank you, Lord. Help me this morning to minister your word. Thank you for what I feel in this house. Let your word fall on fertile ground, that it would bear fruit. In Jesus' name, Lord, help me to be sensitive to what you're trying to do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know how many of you were here a few weeks ago. We had the privilege of having Brother Royer here. And um, on Mother's Day, he preached a message uh, called An Appeal to Mama. How many remember that? That message. It was a little bit peculiar because he, preached, uh, he talked about how he would travel our country and preaching at many different churches. And as he traveled and went around, our country and going to many different churches, he has seen a constant, he has seen a consistent trend amongst our ranks on how we uh, approach worship and how we are, approach having our church services and the things that, that um, we have allowed in, the things that we have we have let go of. And so uh, I thought it was, um, or I guess some of us, I guess, might have thought that it was a little unusual message for, for Mother's Day, not really anything tied to to moms so much. Uh, and the interesting thing was that in my Sunday school uh, booklet, uh, it was the lesson that I was going to teach our students had to do about uh, reaching out to our community and our world, but not changing our identity in order to do so. And so when I went downstairs and uh, my wife said, well, don't, don't teach on that. It's Mother's Day. Have them write a letter to their mom and, and, and say something nice about, about their mom, um, which wasn't very hard to do. And when I came downstairs and I heard what Brother Rory was preaching about, I said, you got to be kidding me. That is right in line with what I was going to teach our students this morning. And so if you thought he was kind of a little, little bit off, he wasn't to me. He was right in stride with what I wanted to, to teach. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit more uh, um, about that. And in his message, he talked about how he begged that we as a church in Baytown would never change our identity or lose our testimony. And so, there was an interesting article I read to our, to our students uh, from the Washington Post, and it says here, want millennials back in the pews, stop trying to make church cool. And the article kind of blew me away because it was contrary to what I thought our society and people wanted, but I was completely wrong. <clears throat> and it talks about how there has been a trend in Christianity within the last decade or so, decade or two, 
in how churches have transitioned into uh, making church cool or cheapen the message uh, so that people can accept it more. So I'll read a little bit of the article, some of it, and um, I'll try not to take too long, but I read this to our students. Bass reverberates through the auditorium floor as a heavily bearded worship leader pauses to invite the congregation bathe in the lights of two giant screens to tweet using hashtag Jesus lives. The scent of freshly brewed coffee is in the lobby where you can order macchiatos and purchase mugs boasting a sleek church logo. The chairs are comfortable and the music sounds like something from the top of the charts and at the end of service, someone always wins an iPad. This, in the view of many churches, is what millennials like me want, and no wonder pastors think so. Church attendance has plummeted among young adults in the United States. 59% of people ages 18 to 29 with a Christian background have at some point dropped out. According to the Pew Forum of Religious Life and Public Life, among those of us who came of age around the year 2000, a solid quarter claimed no religious affiliation at all, making my generation significantly more disconnected from faith than members of Generation X, which were comparable uh, uh, in their lives and twice as detached as baby boomers or as young adults. So it talks about how the, the baby boomers, Generation X, and now the millennials, that there is a transition now in the amount of people going to, to uh, attend church uh, on a weekly basis. Whether it's ours, whether it's, it's, it's the church across the street, that trend has slowly started going down. And so here's what the, the article goes on to say. Furthermore, in response, many churches have sought to lure people back by focusing on style points. Cooler bands, hipper worship, edgier programming, impressive technology. Yet while these aren't inherently bad ideas, I like some of that stuff, but in some cases might be effective, they are not the key to drawing people back to God in a lasting and meaningful way. Just what, reading what the article says. Young people don't simply want a better show or people in general. And trying to be cool might make things worse. And like I said, this was exactly what I wanted to teach that day. And Brother Royer kind of reinforced that. And I felt this on my heart uh, this week. And so, you see, I, I thought this was what people want um, in, in our day and our age. There are a lot of churches here in our own town uh, and, and all throughout Houston and across our nation that has transitioned over over to this, thinking that it is what people want. Um, and so, you know, the hashtags, the cooler bands, the disco worship, the edge of programming, the impressive technology, the big screens, the free giveaways, the light shows, the pastor who dresses and looks just like they do, uh, and preaching ultimately a watered-down message of grace and of salvation. And so recent research from the Barner Group and the Cornerstone Knowledge Network found that 67% of millennials, check this out, prefer a classic church over a trendy one. It's over half of the population. And 77% would choose a sanctuary over an auditorium. So I'm thankful that we have stayed classic over the years. Thank you, Brother Grant. Thank you, Sister Grant. Thank you that we have a sanctuary and not an auditorium. So I hope, I mean, this gets me excited because, and, and I, I, I drilled this into our students, this is what people want. And this is what people are uh, looking for. And I told them, don't be ashamed of how we do church. 
Don't be ashamed of how it is that we worship. Don't be ashamed of, of, of running the aisles and, and lifting your hands and worshiping and, and the presence of God moving because that is what touches and that is what heals and that is what people are looking for. You know, if they want a show, they can go to a concert. If they want free coffee, they can go to Starbucks. Not free. You have to pay. It's pretty expensive. But if you want coffee, you can go to Starbucks. I'm not paying $6 for a grande I can't even pronounce some of the words that's on their menu. If you want, you want coffee, you can go to Starbucks. But if you want a move of God and a change in your life, you come to church. And so, these things do not deter people. Don't be afraid to talk in tongues. Don't be afraid to tell somebody that they need to repent if they are going to get right with God. These are the things that will alter and change the course of a soul and save their life. We need powerful preaching that convicts and saves, or as it says, snatching people out of the fire. It doesn't deter people. We are not outdated. And don't think that we aren't relevant. And don't be ashamed. I tell our students all the time, don't be ashamed of who you are and what you look like. Because you are a beacon of hope. You are the well of living water in your schools, in your, in your community, on your job site. You are the well that people know to go back and get their source and their strength from. You are the well of life in your circle of influence. Maybe I'll preach, maybe I'll just keep this kind of pace. But I'll try to speed it up. And repentance of sins is not outdated. And people need to know that what they are doing is wrong. Because if you don't know what you're doing is wrong, you'll never change. Why does she keep cooking and putting too much salt in the mashed potatoes? My wife makes wonderful mashed potatoes. I'm not referencing my wife. Well, did you ever tell her? No. Well, then she's not going to fix it. People will not know to change their life or how they need to correct their life if they don't know what is wrong to begin with. And people are searching, and they want a church not to entertain them. This is what the article is saying, and this is what research over the last several years of these uh, of people at some of these high-tech theological schools all throughout America have found. They are not looking for entertainment they are looking for a church that can answer life's most pressing questions. How do I get saved? What is the purpose of my existence? Can God heal my marriage? Will I be in this state forever? Is there a way out of my mental anxiety? These are life's most pressing questions. And a heavy metal worship band is great, but they want to know, can God heal cancer? And the cup of caramel macchiato was delicious, but can God put my marriage and my family back together? 
and the seats are comfortable and the screens are nice, but does God know what I've been through and can he forgive me for everything I've done? That's what people are looking for. That's the church that they're searching when they're driving down Garth and they're driving down Main Street and they're driving down 146 and they're saying, whoa, whoa, is that the church or is that the church or is that the church? Because I'm not looking to be entertained. I'm looking to have my life changed. Aren't you glad we go to a church that isn't in the, in the, in the business of entertaining you, but we're in the business of preaching repentance Baptism in Jesus' name, uh, the infilling of God's Spirit. Uh, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to be that way. Uh, you don't have to talk like that. Uh, God can change you. He can change you. Uh, I know we don't have disco lights, uh, but we got the Holy Ghost. Disco lights doesn't raise people from the dead, uh, but the Spirit of Christ uh, that dwelleth in you does. Hallelujah. Real questions about life that people are looking for. And they're trying to Google it because their church can't give them the answer. Multi-million dollar churches all across Houston and across America. Famous men and pastors, if I called your name, uh, being interviewed by Larry King, being interviewed by CNN, being interviewed by Fox News. Uh, what do people need to do to be saved? Uh, and they can't give you a straight answer. Well, we just thought everybody come in and enjoy our service and, you know, and you just prosperity and give me, give me money and, and the bigger my yacht is, the bigger your wallet will be. And, and I'm poking fun a little bit. References to water wells in the Bible are significant. You know, there are two rivers that run through Israel, the River Litani and the River Jordan. They run through Canaan. And so these brooks are very scarce, and water is very scarce in that area of the world. The Middle East is a very dry place, and so any source of water can and is very much valued. And so Job uh, in his in his book says that faithless friends are like torrent beds and swollen springs but during times of hot weather they disappear. Now that's preaching. Ben Sira twice enumerates water as the first and amongst the most principal things and necessary for the life of man. How many know that 60% of your body is made of water? I remember I was a kid. I was like, what? I don't see water. I see some blood, but it ain't 60%. 60% of us is made of water. And so that means the bones, the skin, all the organs make up less than 40%. Water protects your tissues. This is some stuff I looked on Google. Water protects your tissues, your spinal cords, your joints. It helps your body remove waste. It aids in digestion. It helps you, to, uh, it helps you from becoming dehydrated. Your body is used to help dissolve certain minerals that you need in your body. It, it helps the strength of the, your liver and your kidneys. It helps to carry water and oxygen and nutrients to parts of your brain and other parts of your body. I needed to carry a lot more to my brain than other parts of my body. And so I've, have I convinced you that water is very important? And as I'm preaching about water, I'm getting more and more Sorry if you don't have one of these. It's a water fountain outside. 
So you mean to tell me that 60% of what I'm made of, I can't even see? Yes. And here's the clincher I want to tie this to. 100% of the church is made up of living water that you cannot see. I'm not talking 60%. I'm not talking 70%. I'm not even talking 90%. I'm saying 100% of the church is made up of living water that you cannot see. Well, Brother Tuan, what about the brick and the mortar and the sheetrock and the plaster walls and the lights and the musical instruments and the projector and the free coffee and the comfortable pews? Though they are nice, they don't make the church what it is. The church is where His Spirit is. If you take God's Spirit out of this place, it will no longer be the church. If you take the Spirit of God out of your bodies, you will no longer be the temple of God. If you take God out of heaven, He will no longer be heaven. And the walls will still be, the floor will still be gold. And the walls will still be emerald. And the gates will still be pearl. But God won't be there and it won't be heaven. 100% of the church, it's all about him. You got scripture, Acts 7, 48 and 49. How be it, I've got to preserve my voice. The most high dwelleth not in temple made with hands, saith the prophet. For heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house are you going to build me? saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hands made these things? Acts 17, 24 to 25, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord in heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship in men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he giveth to all life and breathe and all and breath and all things he doesn't need this he doesn't need a multi-million dollar building for him to do what it is he needs to do in your life okay well then what is the church and what is living water john 14 john 4 and 14 But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. John 7, 37 and 30 to verse 39. In the last day, the great day of the feast. You're all very familiar with this passage of scripture. Jesus stood and cried, saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You're getting more thirsty. I hope you are for him. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spoke he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So what is the living water that he was telling the Samaritan woman at the well? It is the gift of the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Spirit, if you want me to use a friendlier modern term, the Holy Spirit. 
It is the, the presence and the spirit of God is what makes the church what it is. He will make heaven what it is. It is the Spirit of God. It is the lion laying down together with the lamb. It is the sun sitting on the throne, uh, crowned. Uh, it is He is what makes the church what it is and you who you are. Modern day Christianity, in an attempt to make church cooler, has drawn people with all kinds of marketing techniques, uh, device, uh, and free gimmicks. I know the majority of us here are saints. And we have one or we have a few visitors. I'm so glad you're here. Hope you come back when we have somebody else better. And I know the majority of those in here have been coming for years. And maybe this is just a message to reinforce to you and to myself uh, that what we're doing is right. What we've got is right. Yes, it may not be the biggest church. Yes, it may not be. It might not have everything we need in every single program for every single age group. Uh, but we got the presence of God uh, and the Spirit of God uh, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and that is what will change people. <laughs> Leah had more children than Rachel. But that did not mean Leah was the chosen one. Rachel had one son, two sons, and out of those two sons was the lineage of Jesus Christ. More is not better. More is not better. Let me correct myself. Judah was the son of Leah. But, you get my point. I know somebody's going to be like, uh, I don't know about that. Judah is the son of Leah. Some of you Bible scholars, especially my wife. And so, I'll read a little bit more. Modern day Christianity. And that is the spirit. And that is what 7 billion people in our world are looking for. So, let let me read this part to you. So, when Christians attempt to make the gospel message more palatable, for a pleasure-oriented society by misrepresenting the sacrificial commitment of the gospel, outsiders are actually turned off. Or as one author put it, many outsiders actually miss the chance to experience true life in Christ because we cheapen the message of Jesus. David and Kinnaman gave in lines from their book, Unchristian, what a new generation really thinks about Christianity. Another quote, cheap grace means grace sold on the marketplace like cheap jack wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, the consolation of religion are all thrown away at cut prices. In such a church, the world finds cheap covering for sin. Cheap, cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross and grace without Jesus Christ. And many churches, though they may not be doing it intentionally, in the process of trying to make church cool and acceptable, have made it more of a show than a place where lives can be changed. Do you have scripture? Yes, I do. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. I'll go through this quickly. This passage of scripture used to confuse me when I first got into the church, and um, uh, it makes a little bit more sense now. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ. And once they preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles 
which he did. I want you to notice two things. He went down to the city of Samaria. This is the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen, that the Holy Ghost would be poured out in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, then in the uttermost parts of the world. And now it has made its way unto Samaria. The second thing I want you to notice is where did Jesus meet the woman at the well? He met her in Samaria. John 4, 3, 5, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs, a whole verse dedicated to this, and he must needs go through Samaria. And the Jews don't have dealings with the Samaritans. And aren't you glad he did not skip over your life? But he made an effort to pass through and gave you a chance at mercy and gave you a chance at grace. Then he cometh into a city of Samaria called Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And here is the big point. The promise of living water that Jesus told the woman she would have did not happen right there. But it was fulfilled in the 8th chapter of the book of Acts by a man of God named Philip. Verse 7, For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them. Thank you, Brother Matt. You are keeping up. Very good. I lost my place. This is what happens when you preach from a tablet. A place where... Okay, wait, no, I already... Okay, verse 7. For unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. The church should not just be a show. But it needs to be a place where miracles can and will and does still happen. A place where life's most pressing questions can be answered. A place where unclean spirits of depression and anxiety and fears come fleeing out of people. Where the sick are healed and the sinners can find salvation. Not a show that produces nothing. What are you talking about? Verse 9, there was a certain man named Simon. He pastors First Sorcery Church of Samaria. Which before time in the same city used sorcery and bewitched people of Samaria, given out that he himself was some great one. The fake does a great job to make itself look real. And he was giving everybody a show. And he's been doing it for a long time. And he is the church on the other side of town that had everything you can need. Great music, top of the charts, uh, church academy, free coffee and Wi-Fi, free giveaways. We, me, and the student, me, me, and, me, and, me and the students joke about First Baptist all the time. They're good people. I drove by on Main Street. They had 20 vans, brand new. I said, man, Lord, if we can just get one of those. We joke all the time 
about them. Big screens, lights and smokes, something for people of every age. Small groups, life groups, free daycare for your kids, a basketball gym, trips to Disney World twice a year, you name it. A worship leader that looks like a homeless man who just came off the streets. Pastor preaching in ripped jeans and a t-shirt, wearing a t-shirt that says hashtag Jesus lives and is super friendly. And big screens that says follow us on Twitter or like us on Facebook. But here's the clincher. Nobody's changed. I'm not talking down on them. I'm t- it's a different thing if they do that and lives get changed. But when the gospel is presented as merely an exciting choice to convert with no context of commitment, people do not respond to the sacrifice of Christ with life dedication. When the gospel is presented as merely an exciting choice, well, you can, you want to come, you know, you can be a Trapar Church, sign a member. You don't you have to do it today. You can do it next Sunday, you know. The Bible doesn't say when the Lord will come back. So as long as you don't forget who we are and we're here and, And it becomes a choice with no context of commitment. People do not respond to the sacrifice of Christ with life dedication. Verse 10, to whom, continuing the passage, to whom they all gave heed. They all gave heed. I'm talking even the Samaritan woman at the well. Listen to this dude's preaching. And the magic tricks that he did. From the least to the greatest. Saying this man is the great power of God. And the fake does a great job at mimicking the real. It says in the last days be careful. There are those that will seek to deceive you. And they may say that they're the Christ. But they really are not the Christ. Feel them out and you will know that he who has me dwelling in them uh, is of God. But he who doesn't have me in them is not of God. And Simon was able to trick people into thinking that his magic tricks was what God was all about. uh, But it was in the end just a good show. And when Jesus ran into the Samaritan woman, her life was not changed even though Simon was there preaching all those years. And it is just a good show, and we leave entertained, uh, and we leave uh, full, but yet we are never satisfied. But Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink water from this well, you will thirst again. His sorcery, his magic tricks, all the additional things uh, was uh, never was able uh, to fill the void uh, in her heart. uh, And and, and he he told her, if you keep going back to this, you'll thirst uh, and thirst again. uh, But the water that I give you, uh, you will never thirst again. And you will be satisfied. uh, And that empty void in your heart, uh, you I will fill. How many more relationships uh, does it take uh, for you to realize that is not your answer, but I am your answer? And he had, and for a long time, Simon's church uh, of sorcery had a grip in Samaria. And it would wow her. 
and she would go to him for hope. I'm just using my imagination. The Bible doesn't say any of this, but I'm tying scripture together thinking that she went to him many times looking for hope, many times looking for a relief from her past, many times looking for deliverance, and every time she would left feeling the same, and every time she would leave going back into her same situation. Verse 12. But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, in the name of Jesus, they were baptized. I cannot help but say that Samaritan woman was in that mix. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs that were done. One very important verse of Scripture that Jesus told the disciples for evidence of his church and for evidence of his spirit, these signs shall follow them that believe. They shall speak in other tongues. They shall pick up serpents, and it shall not hurt them. They will pray for the sick, and they will be healed. Let me tell you a diff the difference between the true church and the fake church. The fake church has a lot of gimmicks. The fake church has a lot of shows. The fake church does a lot of magic tricks. But in the end, nobody is changed. But let me tell you what the real church is. It is water that flows. It is the Spirit of God. It is the Holy Ghost. It is the sign and the evidence of speaking in other tongues. It's the Spirit of God. Hey, when the real church shows up, uh, when the real deal shows up, uh, it will destroy that which is fake. Artificial bait is nothing compared to real minnows. Brother Grant preached that a while back. There's a famous story in the book of Exodus where the Lord asked for Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh. They did, a, they did many things to prove that they were real and that God was real. And the Lord told them that if Pharaoh asks you for a sign of a miracle, this is in Exodus chapter 7, verse 8 through 12, you're going to cast your rod on the ground and it will become a serpent. The Bible goes on to say that when they did that, and Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, then Pharaoh called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For they cast down every man his rod. Verse 12, if you want to pull that up, Brother Matt. For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. How was it able to do that? Because his serpent was real. Their serpents was a magic trick. The real will always destroy the illusion. One was a true 
miracle and the other one was a fake. The real miracle is in Jesus. The real miracle is in living water out of that well of everlasting life. I don't, I'm preaching and I want you to know, don't be fooled by the illusion. Don't be fooled by the church across, across town. But search and see, do they have the one most important ingredient of it all? And that is the living water from which all creation needs to survive. That is Jesus. That is him crucified. Uh, are they preaching death? Uh, are they preaching burial? Are they preaching resurrection? Because we do. And we believe that if a man and a woman is to be saved, they have to repent of their sins. We will accept you. We will accept you as you are. But it doesn't stop there. We, you, there has got to be a change. There has got to be a 180. There has got to be a turn in direction from what you are doing or else you'll never be better and you'll never improve. We believe in baptism in Jesus' name and we believe the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some of you say, well, I hear this all the time. I can't believe you're preaching this to all of us. Yeah, well, somebody sitting next to you has never heard this message before. And they need to know. Verse 14, now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they said unto them, Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For he, ha for he as yet was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in his name. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost. And here is the incredible thing about it. When Simon saw that, he fell off his rocker. Because he has never seen this done before. And he has been there and his fake magic tricks and his first sorcery church of Samaria was completely being blown apart. And he makes a very important state, a very critical comment. He says... How much money can I give to buy this? And we live in a world where we think money can substitute for a genuine move of the Holy Ghost. And we think, and churches all over our nation think that if they would just have a more expensive auditorium, and if they would have a more expensive music program, and if they would just have a bigger gymnasium, and if they would spend more money, they would get a genuine move of God. But what we find in Scripture is that money is not what it takes for God to move. Your faith in Him is what takes and for Him to move. Freely you have received freely give and the fake will always think they can purchase the real I'm going to close here with this 2nd Kings chapter 5 talks about a, 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 a captain of the host I'm not going to read all of it to you his name was Naaman he was a great commander in war. He's a great commander as he was fighting Israel. The Bible says that they captured a little maid, and the maid uh, tended to um, 
Naaman's uh, wife. And in a conversation, she mentions to the to her hand. She mentions to Naaman's wife that if he only knew there was a prophet in Israel that can heal him of his leprosy. I heard Brother Arnold say this: leprosy was not was not there was no mention of healing in, of leprosy up until this point. And the girl believed that God could do something she has never seen before. The Bible says this. I'll read something. Let's go to verse 9. And Naaman tells the, the king of Syria, and the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel. And the Bible says the king of Israel got upset because he says, I have no ability to heal someone of leprosy. This has never been done in history before. He's trying to cause war with our nation, asking for this favor. But there was a man of God by the name of Elisha who said, why did the king rent his clothes? What's going on? And the king told him, there's a man of leprosy named Naaman who needs healing. The Bible says that Naaman, verse 9, came with his horse and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a message unto him saying, Go wash seven times in the Jordan, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Elisha didn't even come out to talk to him. He said, Hey, uh, you who's fixing my cup of tea, can you go tell him, um, just dip himself in the, in the Jordan, and I think that about seven times would be good. And uh, that will heal him. And Naaman was rough. He said, what? Are you kidding me? That's the filthiest river in all of Israel. Verse 11, but, but Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord and strike his hand. Be healed. That was not a karate move. I know some of y'all are thinking. Bah, be healed. Benny Hinn. Be healed. And he was upset. Why? He wanted a show. I'm going to mention what Brother Myers preached several months ago. It was phenomenal. And I, I wrote it down in my book. He wanted a show. He turned around and he left. And his servant said, eh, hang on, hang on. If he would have told you to do something crazy for your healing, you would have done it. But he's asking you to do something so simple. Here's the thing. We like things complex. We like things uh, he wanted better rivers, better water. We think God moves in big auditoriums uh, uh, and big conferences uh, and, 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 and in our lives uh, um, at, at certain moments and points in our lives, and we expect those things, and we always want a show from God. But his healing was not in a show. His healing was in something that had always worked and it's always been there I'm going to quote Brother Myers because he said this and I thought it was amazing He's, he says do you want a show 
or do you want to be healed? And Naaman realized, I really wanted a show more than I wanted to be healed. And so my question to you and reinforcement is, do we want a show? And I love our music, and I love our musicians, and I appreciate all the hours that they put in, and I want you to understand they are not up here for a show. They are here to usher in the presence of God. It is music. It was music that went first, and the Ark of the Covenant that came after the music. Do you want a show, or do you want your marriage put back together? We are not trying to put on a show. And if you have a need, let's all stand this morning. I feel the presence of God. Someone needs to know we may not be flashy. We we may not have everything that you need, but we don't have it. God does. His spirit does. Do you want to show or do you want to see your children saved? Do you want to show or do you want financial blessing? Do you want to show or do you want your sins forgiven? There is something I read that was very interesting. It said that, uh, talked about whales, and it said that usually here in, in America, we use fences uh, um, closer to the city. We use fences to keep farm animals from getting across a certain boundary and from, from keeping other animals from coming into us. But then what do you do when it's in a rural area like Outback Australia and there is hundreds of acres that you own and you have farm animals? How do you keep them in one area? And here's what, the, here's what it says. The farmer will plant a well because those animals know That if they stray too far from that well, they will die. Why do you think there are people here who have been coming for years? Because they know this is where the well of God is. You don't need to preach boundaries You just need to preach to them who Jesus is and where he's at. And if they find him and they get a touch from him, that's why why faithful church members are still here year in, year out. Prayer meeting, fundraiser, choir practice, you name it. You know why, Brother Buddy? That's why Brother Buddy's still here. That's why I'm still here. That's why Brother Blackie, if he, as soon as he gets out of the hospital, guess where he's coming back to? Here. Because he understands that this is where the living water is. That will sustain you for the journey. I don't know who you are this morning. I don't want to call you out. I'm not, we're not trying to put on a show. We never are. We want you to be healed. We want your life to be changed. We want God's promise to be fulfilled in your life. If you have a need, why don't you come to the front let us pray for you. I feel, I feel the presence of God in this place. Hey, it was at a well that Abraham met Rebecca. It was at a well that Jacob 
met Rachel. It was at a well that Moses met Zephora. And it's at a well that you'll meet Jesus. Where his bride will meet him. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And I will give him living water. Water is restorative. I can drink Gatorade all day. I can drink Dr. Pepper. But there comes a point in my day where I said, I just need a good cup of water. Because it replenishes you like nothing can. I can't help you, but Jesus can. I can't heal you, but Jesus can. I can't put your family back together, but Jesus can. Jesus at the center of our church. Jesus at the center of our community. Jesus at the center of everything that we do. It is the well. It is the well. It is the well that brings life. Me and me and brother Buddy and brother Stephen were praying here a couple Saturdays ago, and that well was was dry. You know the well. He doesn't say the well is just here. He says the well cometh out of you. Me and brother Buddy and brother Stephen here on a Saturday morning a couple weeks ago, the well was dry for all of us. We begin to pray, and we begin to dig a hole, and we begin to work. And I want to tell you, God moved in this place on a Saturday morning with three men praying. I've not seen that in so long. And we prayed for each other, and we interceded. That is the well. See, the well of water is flowing. The water's flowing. The water's flowing. The water's trying to flow in some of your lives. Anything that water touches, it restores. Anything that water touches, it brings life back. Anything that water touches, it heals. Oh, that you would stir up. Let's all gather to the front. If you have a need, let us pray for you. Hallelujah. The Bible says they were gathered on the porch waiting for the waters to be stirred. And the Bible says the first one that put his foot in the water was healed. Don't be the last. Be the first. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Oh, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Rivers of living water. Can you begin to flow? Give myself the